Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. And thank you for joining us once again. And a huge thank you to everybody who has taken the time to rate and review us recently. We've had some very interesting comments of Mm. late. Uh, One in particular, if you follow us on social media, then you'll have seen that comment. Uh, It's got a lot of you talking. And I just wanted to say a a massive thank you, really, to uh, everybody who got in touch with some lovely, supportive comments. Yeah, despite the fact that I try to use it as a bit of an excuse to get rid of Mark. I'm still here. (laughs) No, but honestly, um, if you do want to leave us a review, please do. Any takes a few seconds and we do look at all the comments and when people leave us nice feedback it's really motivating to us that people are enjoying the show and we want to keep it going and obviously on the flip side if there is constructive criticism or some feedback that we can take on board we absolutely do i know at the beginning yeah we've taken loads on board yeah um so yeah molly uh 285 on instagram i didn't let mark ruin it the haters too much i'm not bothered i'm not bothered (laughs) Um, but it was nice everybody getting in touch that was really good so yeah thank you for that um a very warm welcome too to our new patreon supporters this week there's loads of you this week uh so we have kimberly seabert who i think has returned to the fold so welcome back we've got tom lewis we have Rhea Dowd. Jayesh, which i don't know if i said i think it's jayesh okay uh (laughs) serena bennett and Gemma exclusive Seeing Red merchandise is on its way to you guys as we speak. If you don't currently support the show on Patreon, then why then not? Then why not? Yeah. Just kidding. But if you don't support us and you would like to, um, head over to patreon.com forward slash Podcast for more information. We've got three different levels of support, starting at $3 a month. It's all in US dollars, whichever country you sign up from, but there's some great benefits that come from being a member of this exclusive club. So what are you waiting for? It's Mark's turn to tell us about a case this week, so over to you. So, in another first for seeing red, this week's case features crimes committed by a celebrity. A household name, a real household name. The someone when this all happened, I was really upset to hear about, actually. Yeah, me too. It really broke a bit of my childhood. Me too. (laughs) That's Um, not the right way to use that hashtag, Mark. Um, So this is somebody who is known to many millions, both here in the UK and overseas in Australia. Um, As Bethan said, someone we both grew up watching on TV, someone who was adored for their creativity and friendly persona, someone who, in 2014, would see their 60-year entertainment career lying in tatters when they were sentenced to five years and nine months in prison for a series of indecent assaults on underage girls. I am, of course, talking about Rolf Harris, mm-hmm. which Bethan knew because yeah, already discussed Yeah, I reckon it. people would have got that. Yeah, I think so. So chances are, if you are not from the UK or Australia, then you probably won't be familiar with the name Rolf Harris. But I can assure you he was a massive star, particularly here in the UK for many, many decades. Yeah, absolutely. People would, especially back in the day when you didn't have loads of channels on the TV and there weren't loads yeah. of programmes... He was like across the board, like on quite a few things. So upsetting. (laughs) It was upsetting. Yeah. So in 1952, at the age of 22, Rolf Harris arrived in London to study painting. Having grown up in the sleepy Perth suburb of Bassendine in Australia, London must have seemed like a whole new world to Rolf, a land filled with opportunities. As a talented artist who would one day go on to paint a portrait of the Queen, it didn't take long for Rolf to make a name for himself on these shores. 
Not long after arriving in the UK, he was approached by television executives who were keen to bring art to the viewing public. Television was just starting to take off in the mid-50s, and previous programmes focusing on art had not really proved very popular with audiences, owing, I suppose, to the kind of long-drawn-out process involved in producing something creative and interesting. Yeah. So, you know, TV, as I, as I said, was in its infancy, so you know, they probably just thought we can put a programme on and have a guy paint a picture for like Mm. four hours and people are watching. Yeah, because they've got nothing else to watch. Yeah, (laughs) and it's all new and they'll kind of be like, wow, this is a novelty, but that didn't happen. But Rolf was different. He was quick. He could draw cartoon characters in seconds and he had a natural skill for engaging the audience whilst he did this. He started out in children's television and soon progressed into adult variety entertainment hosting his own BBC Saturday Night Entertainment show, which is one of the biggest shows of the day. I think it was on in the sort of late 50s, early 60s. Rolf went on to enjoy a six-decade-long career as an artist and entertainer, and it was a career that would see him amass a personal fortune of £10 million. So that kind of gives some indication as to how successful he was. Yeah, absolutely, especially at that time as well. Yeah, and even sort of 10 years ago, his paintings were mm-hmm. changing hands for six-figure sums. Yeah. So it wasn't just the TV work that he'd made a lot of money from. He was a very successful artist. Mm-hmm. So he was multi-talented and he also released a number of novelty records, such as a cover of Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. That's probably his most famous record. I'm not going to sing it. Do you think that's his most famous? Yeah, I think so. I think Time a Kangaroo Down. Oh yeah, maybe. I reckon that would be my go-to, what's he he famous for? Stairway to Heaven was a big big song for him though, but yeah, that was too. Um, But Stairway to Heaven peaked at number seven in the Mm -hmm. UK charts and he even performed it at Glastonbury. On a number of occasions, yeah. (laughs) Um, So he almost kind of got this whole new audience the older he got. So I think the last time he performed in Glastonbury was just two years before his world came crashing down. Mm. But it was his job presenting the BBC reality television programme Animal Hospital, which ran for an incredible 19 series from 1994 to 2003 that would really cement his status as a national treasure in this country. Yeah, that was definitely what I knew him from, from my childhood. And I think, I'm not like bigging it up, I think he genuinely was considered Mm -hmm. to be what we would call a national treasure. I don't think other countries sort of use that And I I don't think that there was anybody at that time who was doing similar things as well. The sort of way he was caring for those animals and he seemed like such a lovely person on this programme where he'd like comfort the families and stuff. It, yeah. it was like a really wonderful programme. Yeah, so the show centred on the day-to-day runnings of a vet's practice and Rolf would be in the thick of the action, as you said. So he'd be handling the animals, willing them to get better when they were sick or injured and he'd be crying tears of real pain when they died and viewers lapped it up. And I, I do remember watching it as a kid and it was your kind of proper um, sort of family entertainment, mm. which, you know, I'm kind of harping back to the good old days, but yeah. I, I just don't think you get programs like that so much now i think nowadays because there's just so much that's accessible you don't sit around as a family really and watch stuff very often whereas i can remember that on certain nights you'd have certain programs on the telly and like like the generation yeah exactly you don't have to all watch the same thing nowadays because you can sky bless it yeah yeah and i think like yeah i remember that sort of as a kid like probably 15 20 years ago 
Oh, someone's than that. old. <laughs> but um, yeah, the what was on telly when you got home from school or whatever yeah. defined what day it was. Yeah. So you know, yeah, you would know it was a Tuesday because particular programs were on. So this would have been a big show, and I think mm. it regularly drew in audiences in excess of ten million. So it would have been a kind of water cooler moment at yeah, work. People definitely. would have talked about it. Um, and as an audience, we definitely got to see a different side to Rolf, as you said, Bethan. Um, so usually he was the joker, the brash entertainer, perhaps slightly annoying to some. But here he was empathetic, soft, kind, sweet and gentle. The sort of man that you would choose as a granddad. And during the show's tenure, Rolf even adopted an abandoned English bull terrier whom he named Dolly. People, fans of the show, people that watch the show might remember that. Um, and the nation really took Dolly and Rolf into their hearts. And it seemed at this point the man could do no wrong. And he couldn't. Just two years after the series ended, Rolf was commissioned to paint a portrait of the Queen to mark her 80th birthday. The painting was conducted over a number of sittings at Buckingham Palace and became the subject of a special episode of his BBC television programme, Rolf on Art. And if you watch the programme, if you watch that particular episode, you will see the Queen really took to Rolf. They had this kind of really natural rapport. And I, without sounding too kind of arty, I think that rapport and how he made her feel so relaxed and that relationship they had really shines through in the finished portrait. He's almost somehow managed to capture the Queen like no other painter before him. She looks the happiest, most natural, relaxed Mm. version of herself. Um, Quite different to other portraits that I've seen. Um, And the portrait was actually voted the second favourite of the monarch by the British public. I think it's not really something I'd be particularly interested in usually, but I remember watching and seeing the portrait afterwards and looking at how they interacted, and I completely agree. Like He really put her at ease and... Being the Queen must be such, like, a big thing, and he'd managed to do that, and, yeah, he did... It's an amazing portrait as well. Yeah, it was. It's since disappeared mm-hmm. uh, from wherever it was hanging. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of a rare glimpse of the Queen off the record, so you would see her laughing at his jokes, and, yeah, he really made her feel at ease. So, you know, you can't deny it was an absolutely amazing portrait that he painted of the Queen. And as if things couldn't get much better for Rolf at this point, surprise, surprise, probably owing to the fact that he painted her portrait, the Queen awarded him with the Commander of the Order of the British Empire, or CBE, uh, a year later in 2006. And that is literally the highest honour that you can be bestowed with before knighthood. Wow, and not, I suppose as well, being like from Australia and stuff, that's a big deal, isn't it? Massively, yeah. Um, And he was definitely, you know, that was in 2006, he was definitely on his way to a knighthood and had what happened not happened in 2012 and sort of subsequently. We would have been calling him Sir Rolf Harris to this day. Also in 2007 and 2010, he was awarded honorary doctorates from the University of East London and Liverpool Hope University. And I just wanted to say at this point, whenever I read of celebrities getting honorary doctorates, first of all, it really pisses me off because (laughs) they've not done any work to be awarded with that. But secondly, they're always from really shit universities. Jesus Christ, Mark. So no offence if any listeners like went to University in, of East London. And you've already fucked the podcast up. Or William. Liverpool Hope. But they are shit universities. They're Aww. like former polytechnics. Mm-hmm. And I'd just be like, yeah, I know you've kind of given me a doctorate, but don't bother. <laughs> Unless I'm going to get it from a really good university, you can forget it. Oh my God. As if you'd be like, give me that shit I now. probably would. Yeah, yeah. you would. 
Mm. I probably would. So, as I said, life appeared to be pretty sweet for Rolf. He lived in a palatial riverside home in the royal county of Berkshire with his devoted wife of 50 years, Alwyn. He was continuing to work at a steady pace in a career that he loved, and he was adored by millions of people both here and in his native Australia. But behind closed doors, Rolf was hiding a dark and dirty secret. A compulsion to abuse underage girls. A compulsion that went undetected for decades. A compulsion that would leave in its wake a trail of devastation. Now, this isn't the first time we have seen a case like this, of course. Um, I suppose if you're familiar with this case, then you will also be familiar with the case of... I'm guessing Jimmy Savile. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, another former national treasure suspected to be this country's most prolific paedophile. Yeah. Um, he was a depraved individual who hid in plain sight, a man who some say was protected by the establishment, a man who potentially abused thousands of victims, a man who got away with these heinous crimes owing to the fact he died before any allegations surfaced. Sure, that still pisses me off so much. Really fucks yeah. me off too, yeah. Really And we've talked about that over the years Mm -hmm. at work and it really, really annoys us and it annoys (laughs) everybody that we speak to about it. Um, And I was really, really tempted to cover this case, the case of Jimmy Savile. Oh my God, I feel like that would be like a 10 part. Well, yeah, Mm -hmm. honestly, I mean, it's such a huge case. Um, There's so many documentaries, so many articles have been written on it. There's so many people who have an opinion on it. Um, It would have just been so much research. And yeah, I think we'd have had to do like a mini series Mm -hmm. on it. I was surprised even with the story of Rolf Rolf Harris and his crimes, because that's something that we've perhaps mentioned before and it's a lot to get in. So I'm really impressed that you've managed to do it in an episode and, and that we can present that then because... It is a story that needs to be told, and I think sometimes people do shy away from it because it's so massive. Yeah, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, personally, I think with Rolf Harris, although his crimes are known, is is it potentially that his story kind of got lost back in 2013, 2014, in the wake of the Jimmy Savile scandal, and there were also many other high-profile cases that came to light around that time with high-profile people? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely a case where I know knew the outline and I knew the basics, but I don't know the full story. I was so the I'm, same. I'm really interested for you to enlighten me today. I will, I will certainly enlighten you. Mm. But just going back to Jimmy Savile, he was, you know, I kind of look at him as the sort of Harold Shipman of the paedophile world. Mm, so if agreed, anyone doesn't yeah. know who Harold Shipman is, obviously our UK listeners will know him. Um, but he was a GP, a practicing GP from, uh, the UK. And he is most likely to be Britain's most prolific serial killer. Um, we don't know exact figures, but it's highly likely that he killed hundreds of, of his patients over many decades. And with Jimmy, Jimmy Savile, he is a guy that most likely abused you know, probably thousands of mm. people. He may have killed people. There's all sorts of rumours about him, necrophilia. Um, it would have been a really interesting case because he was just such a disgusting bastard. Mm. But Maybe it's one to put on a back burner, but for the future yeah. as a, a couple of parter. If people can cope with that after today, we'll see what they feel like after today's episode because it's not going to be a nice one, is it? No. It's not no. going to be as fun as our entry into season two. Season two? Season... Just the mid-season break, wasn't it, actually? It wasn't what in... did we have after that? That was the Peru 2. Oh, that, yeah, that was okay. Yeah. And that was quite fun. We you could... can kind of laugh at that. Yeah. No one's been murdered. A lot of people were having a bit of a laugh about that as well. And I think yeah. they liked that we were a bit light-hearted. But sorry, oh, guys. We were really light. I was really... Um... 
Very on PC. You were very jovial. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I'd obviously. But yeah, don't worry, guys. Back to back normal, to normal service. now. Yeah, because there are you know terrible victims in this case, mm. and that of Jimmy Savile as well. Yeah. Um, but it is important to mention Jimmy Savile because he is actually very much linked to this case, the case of Rolf Harris. So, following the allegations made against Jimmy Savile, the Metropolitan Police launched what is known as Operation U Tree, which focused on investigating Jimmy Savile's crimes, but also those of other media personalities and as I've kind of alluded to at this time historic sex abuse was a massive topic it seemed like every elderly celebrity was getting arrested at a rate of like you know two a week or whatever oh my god it was horrendous because you'd be like who's gonna be next yeah and we were speculating we were like who is next is it Bruce Forsyth is it these big names that you know we think are lovely people not Bruce Forsyth we'd like to point out quite clearly well he didn't but he's dead now so we can technically say what we want about him but But I don't want you to no no I won't (laughs) you know he was a good guy yeah but it's things like that though like where we would be talking and we'd be like oh my god what if it's this person yeah we were just thinking like who is next and quite often the police would arrest somebody and they would give minimal details and we we as the kind of you know sort of general public would know that it was a high profile personality Mm. so we would then start speculating as to who that was yeah uh, so yeah, it was a really interesting time. A bit like the Me Too stuff mm, now. Yeah, that, that was kind of the big deal, sort of three, four, five years ago. Do you remember the whole thing with Cliff Richard? Though I felt yeah. so sorry for him, but fair play to him. He stood his ground and he stood up for himself, and he got his name cleared. But the press were horrendous to him. That was yeah, awful. he had a terrible time. Absolutely mm. took its toll on him, and he'd done nothing wrong. And I kind of think it's a bit like the more this kind of stuff is in the news, the more victims think about what happened to them and then decide to take action. So they may have been abused in childhood. They might be in their 50s now. They never said anything before. And now they're surrounded by these other allegations, people coming forward. It does inspire them, I think, to... Um, to come forward, it almost empowers them. That's it. The bravery of those initial victims to come forward then just does support those people to have the bravery themselves. And I think this is what led to one of Rolf's accusers coming forward in late 2012. She saw Rolf on the television performing for the Queen as part of her Diamond Jubilee celebrations and she just snapped. Describing this exact moment to the jury as she gave evidence against Rolf, she said, It was like it invaded my home every time I switched the telly on. You flick over and there's his mug. That's when I decided I wasn't going to have any more of it. So, as I said, up until late 2012, life had been pretty good for Rolf Harris. A successful television career, money in the bank, and the adulation of millions, including the Queen. But all of that was to change when the police came knocking on the 24th of November, armed with a search warrant. Rolf was not told about the allegations against him, just that a warrant had been granted to search his home. A number of items were taken away from the property for forensic examination, and Rolf faced an agonising wait for further news, as well as the prospect of this being leaked to the press. On the 29th of November, just five days later, Rolf was invited in for questioning by officers from Operation U-Tree. Little is known of the allegations put to Rolf at this time as he was not actually arrested and miraculously this was all kept from the media at that time. That must have been like the most terrifying bit for him, like knowing you've done this but your whole public persona and your public image is is everything to you. Yeah, it's like a brand, it's a personal Mm -hmm. brand. Oh, it absolutely is. And TV executives do not want to be associated with somebody who's had allegations made against them. I hope he was absolutely shitting himself. I reckon he was. Good. 
Um, on the 28th of March in 2013, so sort of four months later, Rolf was actually then taken in for questioning once again, and this time he was arrested. No charges were brought, however, and he was released. Police did release a brief statement to the press at this time, saying only an Australian entertainer from Berkshire has been arrested in connection with historic child sex abuse. So, I mean, it probably didn't take much for people <laughs> to work really out who the hell it was. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I kind of remember this as well. So there were a lot of rumours and speculation mm-hmm. at this time, and although he'd not been named, I think everybody knew that it was Rolf Harris. I'm trying to think, if someone said that, I'd be like, hmm... Peter Andre, Rolf Harris. That's probably the only two yeah, Australian that's true. entertainers yeah. in the UK at the, around that time that I would even th- think about. And when they're talking about historic child sex yeah. abuse, and we're seeing so many elderly entertainers exactly. arrested, we're going to think it's somebody quite old. It's not going to be Peter Andre no. <laughs> from the 90s with his six-pack out. Could have been, but it wasn't. No. For legal reasons. So on the 18th of April, Rolf was named openly for the first time by the Sun newspaper. His secret was out, but minimal details were were released at this point still and there were loads of entertainers as I said around this time who had allegations made against them only to later have charges dropped and the public Mm, loved Rolf so I think although there was that degree of speculation the adoring public remained just that Mm -hmm. adoring but behind the scenes officers from Operation U-Tree were busy collating evidence and they even flew out to Australia to interview a number of witnesses On the 5th of August, Rolf was arrested once again and bailed following further allegations of historic sexual abuse. And three days later, he was replaced as the host of Animal Clinic, which I think was kind of like a rip-off version of (laughs) Animal Hospital, but it aired on Channel 5. So, you know, things really weren't starting to look good now. Um, A few weeks later, Rolf was charged with nine counts of indecently assaulting two girls aged 14 and 15 in the 1980s. The following month, Rolf appeared in court where his lawyers indicated that he would plead not guilty. So this was just like a preliminary hearing, Mm. I think. The year ended badly when, on December the 22nd, prosecutors revealed Rolf would face three additional indecent assault charges involving two new alleged victims, one aged just seven or eight. And these dated back to 1968. Jeez. So in... The 80s, he was, what, 50? Yeah, he would have been in his 50s, yeah. Oh, my God. So a 30-year-old man in, like, the 60s, like, 30s, and then, like, in... Yeah. Oh, God. So uh, another hearing on the 14th of January in 2014, Rolf delivered a loud and clear not guilty to each of the 12 indecent assault charges that were read out to him. His trial began on the 6th of May at Southwark Crown Court and, as expected, it was a media frenzy. This was a huge celebrity that people had grown up watching, that people had taken into their hearts and he had these horrendous allegations put to him. So we all wanted to know the outcome. During the trial, the court heard one victim was 13 years old when she went on holiday with Rolf and his family to Hawaii. She was the best friend of Rolf's daughter, Bindi. The two had grown up together and lived opposite each other. Somewhat disturbingly, Rolf would have known this girl from around the age of two. So he'd seen her grow up. I some, Somehow that's even worse, isn't oh, it? I completely like, agree, yeah. Oh, and that's a trusted family, like... Family friend. Mm. Yeah, they were complete family oh, friends. that's horrible. Friends with a girl, friends with her parents. Yeah. The girl claimed she was first abused during this holiday to Hawaii when she stepped out of the shower wearing a towel. She was shocked to see Rolf standing in her room. 
It was just the two of them. Stepping towards her, he gave her a hug before spitting on his fingers and then slipping his hand into her towel before assaulting her. She had had sex education at school but could not comprehend what had just happened. And I can't imagine how frightened a 13-year-old girl yeah. would be with a you know a man in his 50s, a man mm-hmm. you trusted and knew doing that, spitting yeah. aggressively on his fingers and then sexually assaulting her. Absolutely horrendous. Days later, she was on the beach and had walked out of the sea when Rolf greeted her once again with a towel and again hugging her, he slipped his hand into her bikini bottoms. This 13-year-old girl was to be assaulted twice more on that trip to Hawaii. Rolf even complimented her on how she looked lovely in her bikini, an act which he himself admitted in court was a reference to her body and how he had been sexually attracted to her. She was 13. So disgusting, isn't it? Absolutely disgusting. None of those assaults, however, formed the basis of the indictments since they happened outside the jurisdiction, I think because it was in Hawaii. But the prosecution maintained they supported the build-up to at least seven instances of abuse, including some involving the spitting on fingers once again that the jury accepted happened in England when the girl was still under the age of 16. Most of those instances occurred in Rolf's home in Berkshire as the girl visited his daughter Bindi. And even after she was over the legal age of consent, there were still more tawdry stories from the same victim that the prosecution said went to the heart of the Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde dark side character of Rolf, including forcing her to give him oral sex when he pulled over on the hard shoulder of a fucking motorway. I know. Um, They also heard allegations from this victim that he forced her to give him oral sex on a footpath in the country. There was also an indecent assault in the front of a seven-year-old friend and what was described as a masturbating fondle while they sat on the couch with an unknowing bindi watching television. I mean, can you believe the gall of him sat next to his own daughter Mm. sexually assaulting her friend? This so reminds me of the um, the Wadsworths mm, case that we did, yeah. um, which I was going to say was kind of different, but actually, no, it wasn't. I mean, it no. wasn't friends of their children, but it was... No, but they used their celebrity. They used their celebrity Although to... you did say at the beginning, this was the first time we've done the crimes of a celebrity, and they were but, celebrities but at their But I did time. think about it. Yeah. They, they were kind of almost like regional celebrities. Still a celebrity. Mm, kind of. Yeah, they, they're on radio, they're on TV. <laughs> I take it back. During the trial, the jury were told about a letter Rolf wrote to the victim's father in which he sought forgiveness. He said it was for having had a relationship with a much younger woman, 35 years his junior. When I see the misery I have caused X, I am sickened by myself, Rolf wrote, and he had begged his victim for forgiveness. He added, and as I do these animal programs, I see the unconditional love that dogs can give to their owners, and I wish I could start to love myself again. He went on to say, if there is any way that I could atone for what I have done, I would willingly do it. In court, Rolf's defence was that he wrote this letter to his victim's father following what he claimed was an adult extramarital affair with the man's daughter. Rolf said that the affair started when she was 18. So Mm. he wasn't denying that he'd had an affair with this woman, but he was saying it didn't start until she was 18, whereas she was saying it started when she was 13 and that she wasn't consenting, obviously. he's trying to get around this by saying, oh, but it was at this point. Because this letter is quite damning. He's saying, I've done something I shouldn't have done. But he's saying it's not that I, you know, assaulted someone who was underage. It's that I had an extramarital affair. 
with an adult. He said he felt what he had developed with the victim stemmed from a feeling of love and friendship, that there was no rape, no physical forcing, brutality or beating that took place. And that's a quote. And I sort of think if you're having to use those words and defend yourself in that way to say there was no rape, no brutality, no forcing. I mean, come on. You wouldn't normally say that kind of stuff. No. It's really controlled, strong, yeah. emotive You wouldn't language. have to say that. You'd just be like, we had a, we had an affair. That's, yeah. You wouldn't have to say that. But prosecutors told the court that this was not a letter asking for forgiveness from an adult, but a confession in his own hand for having groomed a girl from the age of 14 when he first abused her through into adulthood. Although Rolf tried to present the relationship to the jury as loving as well as mutual, this was refuted by the prosecution who said the relationship amounted to eight mainly fumbling sexual incidents in 11 years with barely a conversation. And I mean, you know, if you're having an affair, you are going to be having conversations. And when they challenged Rolf on recollecting any conversations that he'd had with her, he could only actually recall one conversation. So during cross-examination, it came to light that the only conversation he could ever remember having with his victim was about cleaning his sperm off the bed sheets. Uh, and again, that's the exact terms that we used. You know, so I he hate must have used it when I know you hate like that, that word. Oh. I, I would have said semen. Okay. That would but they been. actually, he said sperm, so that's what mm. was said in court. So obviously this completely goes against his argument that it was a loving affair. If the Definitely. only conversation he can recollect is about removing sperm from bed sheets in what he said was an 11-year affair, and also the fact that there were actually only a number of incidents of sort of sexual contact in that time that was quite fumbling, it wasn't a sexual relationship. I also think surely he could have lied a bit better... This is his daughter's friend. He'd know stuff about her. He could surely have made up some fucking conversations and been like, yeah. oh, we talked about this thing that happened to she her She confided in me. He clearly did yeah. not give a shit about her. But we've seen that before. I remember with the Christina Abbott yeah. case I covered, um, you know, her... the. The, one of her punters, she was a high-class escort, one of her clients murdered her, and he just couldn't even be bothered to mm-hmm. come up with a proper excuse. Yeah. He was just like, I blacked out, yeah. I blacked out, I'm going to get away with it because I'm just going to say I blacked out. It's just, it's just such bullshit, really pisses me off. Try and come up with a better alibi, motive, yeah. whatever. And this just shows the absolute like disdain and lack Well, it shows of... his arrogance, I yeah, think, absolutely. on both counts in both cases. Definitely. Bindi was called to the stand to give evidence in support of her father and she revealed that she had loved her best friend to bits and said they were inseparable growing up. She detailed to the court the moment her friend told her in 1997 that something had happened between her and Rolf. She described the shock as appalling but then said her friend told her that something had been going on since she was 18 or 19. But the friend claimed in court she told Bindi clearly that it had been going on since she was 13. And what's more, Bindi's ex-husband, a man called Malcolm Cox, corroborated the victim's claim that she told Bindi that she was a child when Rolf Harris first abused her. Three years before Rolf wrote that letter to the victim's father, he sent his victim a card featuring a dog on the front with the words, All I need to know about life I learned from my dog. On the front was a series of phrases including If you stare at someone long enough, eventually you will get what you want. When it comes to having sex, if at first you don't succeed, beg. Be aware when to hold your tongue and when to use it. A cold nose in the crotch can be effective. When you do something wrong, always take responsibility as soon as you are dragged out from under the bed. 
If it's not wet and sloppy, it's not a real kiss. And inside this card, Rolf spoke about suffering about a vertigo, bizarrely, and drew a couple of illustrations of himself with his head spinning. Um, the woman told the court she disliked the card and became anxious as she saw it as having sexual intent, which, yeah, I completely mm, I understand so. that. It's yeah. very sexually explicit. Um, it's a weird reason to send that card. Really weird, isn't anyway. it? To send that to your daughter's friend, even yeah. if she's an adult at the time mm-hmm. she received that card. Why would you do that? It's weird. It really sparks of, like, dirty old man. Rolf denied that the tone was sexual and said it was just a card, perhaps not very funny, but a card that you would send from one friend to another. In one disturbing twist, it later came out that Rolf had hosted an educational video highlighting sexual abuse issues at the peak of his own abusing. So in 1985, he presented this educational video. It was called Kids Can Say No. Um, he was the, uh, like basically the entertainer talking to a group of primary school aged children about what he called yes feelings and no feelings. And one role play in the video portrayed a young girl being improperly touched by the father of her friend. Um, and I just sort of think he was probably getting off on that. Yeah, that is awful to like have the balls to just go and do something like that for work while you're doing that that's while you're actually doing it and Mm -hmm. you're saying it's wrong and he also says in the video some people don't act right with kids and they need help you can't protect them from trouble that they themselves have caused and it's better to say something so that you and the family can get the help you need which almost i know it's 1985 (laughs) it's almost sort of saying it's a kid's fault as well which is fucking weird yeah completely and like but also that whole like if someone does this to a kid they need help well, he needed help. Why yeah. Why did he then, yeah. like, carry on? Another victim was eight years old in 1969 when she was allegedly assaulted in a community hall where Rolf had been performing. She asked for his autograph and when he drew her close, he allegedly put his hand over her bottom and forcibly between her legs. And he made that motion twice. And that was in a room full of people. A third victim also had her bottom grabbed in the mid to late 1980s when she was about 14 years old and working as a waitress at a TV celebrity sports contest day. And I would have laughed at that, like she had a bottom touched if it wasn't for the fact that she was 14. Yeah, and also, like, now we know the situation as well. Like, that's just... Yeah. I was going to laugh at the fact that you said bottom. But I think it's that word. But it's I think funny. that shows, though, how young they are. I think if if we were talking about like or, or like a woman had her ass grabbed, that sounds so different yeah. to a child had her bottom grabbed. Like that is horrendous. And this, this in a what, room full of people. I know, and it was in the mid seventies, mid to late seventies. And I do think it was a different time then. I'm not saying that kind of behaviour was ever right between two adults. Um, you know, it's still wrong, but it was kind of more accepted. Women weren't seen as equal back then. No, and it was quite normal for a woman's boss. Uh, her husband's friend to kind of slap mm-hmm. her on the arse yeah. and laugh and the woman wasn't entitled to be offended She'd at probably that. like quite enjoy it and be all coquettish and it would just be, that was part of society. Again, like not saying it's right at all, but it was just a part of how people interacted and banter. Yeah, but when it comes to a 14-year-old, that yeah. was never right. Too far. There were six other alleged assaults by Rolf Harris, including on two Australian makeup artists, a 16-year-old fan and her mother from Newcastle, an 18-year-old traveller in Malta who feared she was about to be raped, and a 12-year-old girl from Darwin. 
Um, and God, I mean, can you imagine fearing as a child that you were going to be raped? Mm, just what must go through your yeah, head? Yeah, that's horrendous. And you know, this these assaults have absolutely left a legacy on these victims. I think Rolf's youngest victim, so the girl who um, was seven or eight and queued for an autograph uh, in that community hall, she died this year. Um, I don't know how old she was, but she wouldn't have been particularly old and she died of a brain tumour. And you do wonder, don't you, whether, mm-hmm. you know, suffering this kind of assault and the impact that would have had on her for the rest of her life had any kind of bearings on that. Yeah. It does make me think. Mm-hmm. Throughout his trial, Rolf was reported to have displayed an almost arrogant jocular approach to proceedings, bursting into song and regaling the jury with his successes over 50 years of entertainment. And I remember this at the time being reported in the press because there was a lot made of how he behaved in court and he wasn't taking it seriously. He is a performer, he is an entertainer and he just reverted to that natural Mm -hmm. stance of being loud, jokey, singing a song. Some of the jurors would laugh. Some people in the public gallery would laugh. I wonder if like people would then maybe give him a blighter sentence because they remembered how much fun he was or something. I wonder if he was doing this to try and get them on his side. And we will come on to that because the jury did struggle to reach a Mm. verdict and they were actually reprimanded by the judge over that, which I will will go into in a moment. But um, yeah, I I almost sort of wonder that his arrogance was actually, I'm going to get away with this. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I don't need to take it seriously because it's not serious. There are no consequences for me. I'm a celebrity. I'm well, the big I I'm am. the Queen's friend. Yeah. Yeah, you'd think to yourself that that's going to get you off. And he even laughed at one stage and had to be reminded it was no laughing matter when it was put to him that he'd had oral sex with one victim just metres away from his then teenage sleeping daughter. And he was laughing at that. Oh, They'd said, I put it to you fuck? that you had no. oral sex when your daughter was in the room asleep. And, and he's he laughing. No, that's not a normal reaction. No. He said all of the women were lying and he just downright dismissed their evidence. He said they had misconstrued his touchy-feely, friendly way, which is just bullshit. (sighs) To try and defend yourself by saying it's just my touchy-feely way. His mood did change, however, as the trial went on, as did that of his family and supporters who audibly tutted at evidence and even scoffed and murmured, get off, when at least one woman began crying as she recalled her trauma following her indecent assault at the hands of Rolf Harris. And do you know what, though? It does go to show just how beloved he was of the nation because it's so unlikely that many celebrities would have that backing of people, that they would outwardly scoff at someone who is bearing her heart and yeah. her soul that's i mean that's horrendous to do that anyway but it does go to show like the impact that he had on this on the country and the sort of public after eight weeks as the trial was drawing to a close the six male and six female jurors struggled to reach a verdict as i said During their deliberations, they put eight questions to the judge. And I think even if you put like one or two questions to the judge, they quite often get pissed off. And the judge was really pissed off. Yeah, because they've had the whole trial. We've had eight weeks. Why are you asking questions still? And he even had to remind them to use their common sense in their approach as they appeared to be confused with balancing their opinion with the evidence. Oh, you're, you're a jury for a reason. 
focus on the evidence. Mm-hmm. The judge suggested they show courage in their judgments, regardless of the consequences, and even felt obliged to remind them that good character of the celebrity was not a defence. So they had yeah. been bowled over by the fact that this is Rolf Harris. I grew up watching him on telly. He's a nice guy. I've seen him cry when a dog had to be put to sleep on Animal mm. Hospital. He can't possibly be guilty. And what are we going to do to his reputation if we find him guilty? The judge had had to go to them and say, disregard that, Mm -hmm. treat this as if it's a normal human being, which eventually they did. Which they should. Celebrity doesn't mean you're not a normal human being, and it shouldn't mean that. But we see it all the time, don't we? Particularly in America, we see lots of celebrities get away with stuff. But then that's why I did think that it was very... um, I thought it was like a good thing that when I can't remember which one is Anton, which one's Deck, but one of Anton Deck, but he was drink driving and he crashed his car. And actually the public didn't try and defend that. The public were quite pissed off that he'd done that. He then owned his fucking mistake and he's actually like come out of it really strong because he was like, yeah, I was in a bad place, whatever happened. And then he got the help he needed Mm. and also took his punishment like a man. And I was like, do you know what? Fair enough. It would have been very easy for people to be like, hey, Ant and Deck, mm-hmm. they're national treasures. Actually, nobody let him get away with it. No, in the I remember eye. that, yeah. So, yeah. So, after eight days of deliberations, as the trial entered its eighth week, the jury returned to court two of Southwark Crown Court in central London shortly after lunch to unanimously declare Rolf guilty on all charges. The entertainer showed no emotion as the jury forewoman said guilty on each count. As he left the defendant's dock, Rolf managed a reassuring nod and grimace for his family, who held hands and comforted each other. The family spokesman, Abel Haddon, asked for the family to be respected and not asked for further comment. Rolf's barrister, Sonia Woodley, said she would prepare a report on his medical condition as she planned to ask for a significant jail sentence reduction on the grounds of his age and his general poor health. Rolf left the court an hour and a half after the verdicts were delivered, clutching his wife's hand and that of his daughter Bindi, and they walked slowly to a waiting car, much the same way as they had kind of arrived and left court every day throughout that trial. So he was um, found guilty, but he was then bailed uh, to await sentencing, so he could go home. Oh, I was going to say, like, why was he he getting in a car? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Why Do you know why that was allowed for him? I think probably because of his age and his ill health. Yeah. Um, and and I because guess he's a the, fucking celebrity. The crimes, I suppose, weren't very recent, so perhaps he wasn't seen as like an immediate threat right now. They probably impose certain conditions that yeah. you're not to be around children, stuff like that. Um, and also, I suppose, like, if he tries to do a runner, everyone's going to know who he is. Yeah. So yeah. the celebrity then works in, against him as well as That's in his favour. So when the day of sentencing came, as I said at the top of the episode, he was sentenced to five years and nine months in HMP Stafford. He went on to serve approximately half of this sentence, and despite his barrister arguing that he was in very poor health, he is still alive to this day, two years later, at the grand old age of 89, I think. Mm. So that was kind of bullshit. Um, They'll try anything, though, won't they? Yeah, of course they will. Speaking after the guilty verdicts were read out, Jenny Hopkins, Deputy Chief Crown Prosecutor for the CPS in London, said prosecution in such historical cases was always difficult, but she hoped the Harris verdicts would act as a warning to others and provide victims with the courage to come forward no matter when the abuse occurred. She said Rolf Harris used his status and position as a world-famous children's entertainer to sexually assault young girls over a period spanning 18 years. 
that we know of. The victims in this case have suffered in silence for many years and have only recently found the courage to come forward. I would like to pay tribute to the bravery they displayed in coming to court and giving evidence. That bravery and determination has seen Rolf Harris brought to justice and held to account. Each victim, unknown to the others, described a similar pattern of behaviour, that of a man acting without fear of the consequences, and some of that similar behaviour that they independently described was him spitting on his oh, fingers, Joan, I don't which is quite a unique thing that. to do though, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it really so is. That really kind of made prosecutors it think shows, we've got a case yeah. here, yeah. And especially because they were all at different times and from different areas and different places, you wouldn't have known. If it had been like his daughter's three friends maybe you could start to think that they'd kind of corroborated, but that is clearly not. And in his autobiography, Can You Tell What It Is Yet?, released in 2001, Rolf had said, quote, If I do have a high purpose, I think it's to bring a little happiness and make people smile. I might not change the world, but hopefully just a tiny piece of it. And you do wonder how he had the gall to write this. After what he'd done, he knew what he'd done. That's the thing, like, all of this, like, he knew exactly what he'd done, and yet... Carried on, yeah, and he, the arrogance. He also knew at that time that the friend of his daughter's who he'd abused from the age of 13 went on to develop an alcohol addiction as a result of the abuse that she suffered. Mm. Um, so for her, alcohol was the only thing that would numb her pain and fear. Um, and then to have to watch this fucking twat parade on television in front yeah. of the Queen, mm-hmm. like he doesn't have a care in the world, when you're still suffering, must have been a living nightmare for her. It's so, bad enough, like, when somebody has an abuser who's, like, a family friend or something, and then they will see them at, like, events, yeah. or they may, in years and years to come, see that person again, because they live in the same town or something. And that must be horrific enough. But to turn on your TV and see... The fucking queens clapping him and cheering for him and saying hi and stuff like. And he didn't have to do that. Oh my god! He knew that any time he was going on telly and was yeah. going to be featured on something like that, that she might see it. Oh, exactly. And he didn't have to do it. He wanted to do mm-hmm. it. And was there an element of him in his personality thinking, "I'm laughing at you. I've got Absolutely. away with it." It's just and he got pure, off on that like, even more. Yeah, just it is like a disdain for the victim, isn't it? So, as I said, you know, that victim and all of the victims that came forward were incredibly brave and their courage has definitely encouraged other victims to come forward and um, that's helped to ensure that people are brought to book. Um, So, you know, well done to her and well done to Mm -hmm. to the others. I'm very sad that, you know, the youngest victim of his actually died this year, um, last month. So what do you think of today's case? As always, let us know your thoughts. You can get in touch in all of the usual ways. Yes, social media is... We've got Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Seeing Red, a UK True Crime podcast. If you would like to contribute financially to producing the show, we'd be absolutely delighted. Uh, so you can head over to our page at patreon.com forward slash Seeing Red podcast where tiers start from as little as $3 a month. You can email us. Um, send carrier pigeon however you want to get in touch with us guys yeah you can look us up online and find our home addresses and post stuff to please us please don't find our <laughs> home addresses and post stuff to us <laughs> I don't unless think they'd be able to unless it's cake although yeah. actually no because it might be cake with someone's hair might be baked laced in with it. stuff yeah yeah so I thank- do like jelly beans though um, <laughs> thank you for listening once again and we will be back for another episode next week yeah thanks for joining us guys bye bye